Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of West Obsessed, where the writers and editors of High Country News discuss issues critical to the health of the American West. Uh, today, we're um, in case you haven't been bombarded enough with end-of-year reviews, we're going to talk about what the year 2017 meant for the American West and Alaska. Uh, and to help me do that, in the studios of KVNF in Peonia, Colorado, I've got Kate Schimmel, our deputy editor digital. Hi, Kate. Hey, Brian. And our assistant editor, Paige Blankenbuehler. Hi, Paige. Hi, Brian. And joining us via Skype from Washington, D.C. is our Washington, D.C. correspondent, Elizabeth Shogren. Hi, Elizabeth. Hello. Let's start with you, Elizabeth. Great year, 2017. Uh, what did it mean for us, for the West? Well, one of the biggest stories coming out of Washington for the West has to do with environmental protections and energy and the promotion of energy production. President Donald Trump cites this as a major priority and a major success of his administration that sometimes gets lost in all the talk about lots of other issues. Like nuclear buttons taxes. and the, um, yeah, nuclear the end buttons of life on earth as we know it, for example. And whether or not, whether or not Russia determines our election results. So, <laughs> yeah, so, so, but this is huge and huge to him. So um, it's something that we don't always notice, but it has a lot to do with basically what happens in the broad stretches of the West that are um, that are federally managed, the federal, the, the, our public lands where the federal government is, is in charge, and, and also other places in the West. Do you think that it's a priority for him to deregulate de environmental protections, or is it more under a, just a pro-energy agenda? Both are true. Mm. He is very hostile to environmental protections and to regulations that require industry to do this or that in order to protect, um, say, an endangered species or water supplies or or to pay attention to what climate change is doing to our to our world. Um, he's very hostile to all of that. And and so is his administration. And we've seen time and time and again again, how they really understand well what regulations there are out there that industry doesn't like. And they are, with incredible precision, going after these these rules uh, across many, many agencies that have to do with energy production and um, all kinds of industries. Yeah, I would say that at the magazine, we just put together a list of them. And it's um it's not even a top 10. It's like 16 different things that we had to put together, um, which is kind of impressive for a, um, an executive agenda uh, over a year in, in terms of regulations. Do you think it's um, most of them were Obama era regulations uh, or did he go after some bigger, bigger items? Well, uh, what's important to know is that Obama era regulations were big in this area. So he did go after big ones and many of them are Obama era. Um, regulations, but some of them are just the last, the, the latest iteration of important ongoing protections for our country, like um, rules that govern uh, how much smog is allowed in the air, or whether or not trucks can be dirty, that kind of stuff. So it's it's not all stuff that Obama did. Um, one of the um, the biggest things that that um, Trump is doing is attacking the clean power plant rule and a variety of other regulations. President Obama was really the first president to to have 
a very strong record on starting to regulate greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, the, the current administration is trying to roll all of that back. And of course, that has a big impact in the West because uh, the West needs power just like every place else. And so um, instead of going by Obama's rules, which were to slash the greenhouse gas emissions from plants, uh, the new rules won't require that at all. Yeah, and I think another thing that we should keep in mind is that um, you know Trump made a lot of promises on the campaign trail for um, not just energy, but but specifically coal. Uh, and you know here in here in Paonia we have uh, coal in the valley, so there have been some major uh, moves there um, that uh, you know it affects a small number of people, but I think touch to touches uh, cultural touchstones for um, Trump's base. So uh, you know like a federal coal policy. Um, you know, so he's opening up coal leases, for example, or uh, l- decreasing the regulations on uh, methane emissions. So could, could you talk about those a little bit, Elizabeth, and how those are, are going to play out in the next year? Sure. Um, one of the things that the new, admi- well, now not so new, but the Trump administration did early on, um, and this was from Interior Secretary Zinke, is there was a moratorium in place for leasing uh coal reserves from federal land and this we're talking mostly about the powder river basin in wyoming but not solely and um so this is where uh 40 of the nation's um coal comes from the powder river basin in wyoming and and um and so what the the last administration did is put a moratorium on new leases while it was trying to figure out you know how should we understand should we charge more for this coal when it's taken out of the land and should and should we charge enough to make it reflect the impact that climate change has on our society and just how expensive climate change is for so many things whether it's disasters or air pollution and so the the um, previous administration had put a moratorium on drilling for that coal and and one of the first and one of the things that Interior Secretary Zinke did was to lift that moratorium and start leasing coal again in the Powder River Basin. That's important. There have also been some other measures that have to do with with coal. They're really um, trying to incentivize coal production. Um, one of the things that the administration did is they abolished um, policies crafted by the Obama administration to consider the cost of climate change to future generations when making major decisions um, and uh, under the National Environmental Policy Act. And, and that's called the social cost of carbon. That's kind of a dollar amount. So now um, under this administration, you don't have to consider climate change when you're making big decisions. And that can make it easier to do things like leasing coal, or at least that's what the Trump administration wants. The courts will also have a say on this as as they will have say a say on lots of other things as well. That's right. It's been such a, a rapid, uh, rapid fire rate of uh, rules, rules changing that it, um, you kind of have to keep in mind that those things can all be challenged and will be challenged in the courts. Uh, not, yeah, some... With varying degrees of success. I mean, one of the things that um, that uh, Secretary Zinke wanted very much to do was to, to, to do was to get rid of a BLM rule on um, methane um, for oil and gas drilling on public lands, and this rule was supposed to rein in methane emissions um, and leakage from the, the oil and gas 
oil and gas sector. And this is important because methane is basically the product. Methane and natural gas are the same thing. So if you just let it leak out of uh, out of a well, um, that's um, the public is losing the royalties on that. So that there's a financial aspect of it as well. And Zinke wants to get rid of that rule, but the courts have um, and and suspend it while he's go through the kind of lengthy process writing it. Congress refused to do away with it for him. And so then he he's tried um, to suspend the rule um, so that he doesn't have to implement it while he's going through the lengthy process of, of rewriting it. And um, and and so far, the courts have pushed back and said, no, you got to You got to um, implement this rule. It's the law of the land. So um, to some degree, they can't do everything they want, at least not immediately. And of course, it wasn't just the rulemaking that uh, Trump went after, but but some of the bigger things too. So, Paige, we'll, you know, let's talk a little bit about the uh, Bears Ears National Monument because that was a huge uh, success story for the Obama administration. It took a lot of coalition building with uh, tribes and, and uh, environmental groups and conservation groups, and uh, then a, a huge monument was, was designated at the end of Obama designated a huge monument at the end of his administration. And uh, that's now essentially rescinded and and shrunk down. So let's talk a little bit about that and its implications. Yeah, so let's go back to um, the final months of Obama as a lame duck president. The election is coming gone. Donald Trump, we know that he is going to be inaugurated in January. And Obama has uh, one month to basically do his last actions and his legacy building. And... um, Historically, presidents do use those last couple of months that they're in office to designate monuments. Um, a big part of that is, yeah, legacy building. So we were all kind of watching to see what Obama was going to do. We were all expecting a designation of Bears Ears National Monument um, in southeastern Utah, where this swath of land is located. Um, it was really heating up down there. A huge coalition of tribes has been working years and years to designate these boundaries, work with local lawmakers and lobby politicians in D.C., including Obama. So that designation came right before Christmas and really pissed off a lot of Utah's delegations, politicians who had been fighting this, this designation um, so hard locally. Um, Yeah, so we knew that this designation was going to be vulnerable when Donald Trump came into office because he had a sympathetic ear to um, many of those politicians in Utah, including Orrin Hatch. Um, so, very, very senior senator of Utah. Yeah, senior senator of Utah who actually just announced his retirement. Um, so let's fast forward a bit to the early days of the Trump administration. Trump ordered Secretary Ryan Zinke of Interior to do um, this big review of all monument designations that had happened between uh, Bears Ears at the very end of 2016 going back to Grand Staircase Escalante, another controversial monument in the 1990s. So they had this big controversial review. Yeah, Clinton <laughs> designated the uh, Grand Staircase Escalante while you guys were still in grade school backpacks or something. <laughs> Fast Before forward. your political consciousness. <laughs> I was born with political consciousness. <laughs> I don't think that's true. <laughs> I believe that, actually, if anyone that was. That could be true. Kate okay. All right. Was. Okay. Well, what, what were your opinions as a fourth grader on the uh, designation of Grand Staircase Escalante as a It was a, a very controversial monument? decision. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. So these are these are these are big, big controversial decisions mm-hmm. for the conservative base in Utah who felt like that's federal government overreach. We want to have say in how we 
manage the land that is in our backyards. But mm -hmm. of course, uh, these are federal public lands that belong to the American public. And so that uh, that actual argument doesn't hold water, although it does hold a lot of uh, passion for constituents of a conservative base. Right. And I think what you saw was uh, very early on, um, somehow Senator Orrin Hatch got the ear of the new president um, and in fact helped designate, uh, you know, helped them nominate the first uh, Supreme Court uh, nominee, Neil Gorsuch. Uh, that was Orrin Hatch. Um, and then also somehow kind of got his got a, a bug in the president's ear about yeah. uh, rescinding this monument. And yeah, so he sends um, his secretary of interior to do this monument review. And we watched this really one-sided sort of tour of all of Utah's monuments going on where Zinke was spending a lot of time with the Utah delegation that was um, – in stark opposition to these monuments and not a lot of time with the tribal coalition that spent so many years developing the, the boundaries and designation ultimately. Um, so fast forward, Trump announces that there's two monument reductions and he reduced Bears Ears National Monument, um, became two separate designations, um, Indian Creek and Sastia, which is um, Navajo for Bears Ears. Um, and the two together are just 15% of what the original designation that Obama made um, in late 2016. So a huge shrinkage there. Um, looking at Grand Staircase Escalante, that was shrunk as well to about half its original size. And of course, now this is going to be playing out in the courts. Um, the very afternoon that the announcement came out, all of the tribes submitted their lawsuits. And a lot of other people submitted lawsuits, too, including people like Patagonia in the recreation industry. So it's going to be a battle. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to watch because it calls into question the president's authority to, uh, under the Antiquities Act to actually take away monuments of other presidents. The That's right. The implication there is that if you... If this if this goes through, if the, if the courts agree that the president does have the right to rescind monuments, then why would any president go through the trouble of designating large monuments if they know that's just going to get rescinded? Mm -hmm. So this has huge implications for the kinds of public lands that I think a lot of people like to recreate on in the rural West, which is not not necessarily uh, wilderness or national forests or the national parks, but those sort of nitty-gritty landscapes that the BLM was sort of handed at some point in its history and have now become more and more important to recreators like um, mountain bikers or, um, well, off-road vehicle folks and kind of those sort of sagebrush cow pie, uh, you know, <laughs> beautiful public lands, which mm -hmm. I love. And a lot of people do love, uh, and Canyon Country is often in, inside of that. So yeah. these are sort of like BL, these are like weird fringe BLM lands that are coming, you know, into the into the middle of these huge public debates. It's being played out on a national stage, large national politics, and it's fitting into this president's agenda of sort of undoing the legacy of of the last president. And in a way, it also plays into the question of energy development. Um, protections are much more relaxed on something like a national monument protection compared to like a national park protection. Um, and then removing any protections at all from a national monument makes those lands vulnerable to potential energy development. And the question there at Bears Ears is more complicated because um, there's not a lot of resources to be developed there. But nonetheless, it does kind of set a precedent for that. And um, it's also important to point out that a president uh, rescinding a national monument designation really is unprecedented. And if this stands in the courts and 
at the end of the day, if this is something that's allowed to happen, um, the energy development question is going to become a bigger and more central one in other places. It's also important to keep in mind that you're listening to West Obsessed, and this is where the writers and editors of High Country News discuss issues critical to the health of the American West. Today we're talking about uh, what happened in 2017 that sort of uh, had uh, important implications for the West. I'm joined by Elizabeth Shogren, our D.C. correspondent via Skype, uh, Paige Blankenbuehler, our uh, assistant editor. She's here in the studio. And uh, Kate Schimmel, our deputy editor, Digital. I want to go to you, Kate, because not only did we have these really sort of like microcosmic uh, changes to nitty-gritty executive rulemakings and also some big decisions that played out on the national stage, but we also saw major sort of natural disasters this year that affected the West. So what were some of those, and and what are those implications going forward? Yeah, this was a rough year for the West in a lot of places, particularly the West Coast. I think the thing that will stick with us for many years after uh, were the fires in California, many lives lost, very expensive, very hard to fight, and they really kind of opened this question of, are we looking at the future? And will we have to live with this kind of fire season year on year on year for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I mean, it opened the question on to whether Santa Claus should put fire retardant on his sleigh because we had <laughs> fires at Christmas. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I remember three years ago I wrote a story that was basically, you know, there is a future soon coming where we'll have winter wildfires. And and the researchers I talked to were, you know, maybe in five years, maybe in 10 years, more likely in two decades. And then three years later, we're looking at December wildfires that are truly destructive in California. Um, and that, I think, shook a lot of people. I know for us, even here in Colorado, it asked, it just it forced a lot of questions of we need to find a way to live with wildfire because we can't fight this kind of rampaging flame. Yeah, it destroyed my dream of retiring and uh, creating a winery in Sonoma County because who would want to do that? Was that really your dream? No. (laughs) I can't really see you doing that. (laughs) More like a brewery. (laughs) Well, yeah, and it wasn't just California either. Montana had Mm -hmm. just huge, a long, long wildfire season. Uh, We reported on that, and I think one of the most important things to come out of that was this this idea that forest fires aren't just something that happen sort of on this, like, annual basis in in wildlands or even just affecting the wildland-urban interface where people like to build in, you know, in wild places. But it really has become a major problem for places like Missoula, where your entire town is choked in smoke deep into the fall, uh, and they had to, you know, they had to scramble around to get air filters to filter the air for their schools, which they couldn't exactly do, and you know, and they had to choose, literally choose which classrooms they were going to filter. So they started with the lower uh, grades and went up from there because you're, you know, as you get older, you're less susceptible to some some of the problems that these uh, air pollutants can bring from wildfires. So I think that was huge, huge for the West. Um, and I think that's just going to keep going. There's no um, there's no real indication that that's going to stop. Now, of course, we're looking at a crazy snowpack. Um, no no snowpack, you mean? <laughs> yes. By crazy, <laughs> I mean no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> crazy as in absent, like-minded. Um but yeah, I think uh, you know we're going to see another interesting fire year unless we sort of some changes here. Um, what else happened? Yeah, I mean, linked to that, 
this year, uh, so 2016, um, I believe, was the hottest year on record in, in human history, in recorded history. Um, this year did not break that record. 2017 did not. But a lot of the West saw monthly high temperature records. So you had an exceptionally hot March in the mountains. You saw an exceptionally hot August. I mean, we really set up for that fire season. Who can say if that'll happen again in 2018? But I think that um, one of the things that emerged from all of that research, from all of that evidence, was this willingness on the part of the scientific community to say, this is climate change. In the past, like that story I wrote several years ago, scientists would say, this looks a lot like what climate change might look like. Mm. This year, people started saying, this is climate change. Except for the federal government, which isn't allowed to use the words. Yeah. I mean, the federal government did roll back a lot of um, management that would directly affect how we respond to this kind of natural disaster. If you can't consider climate change when you talk about wildfire planning um, and you're looking at wildfire seasons like the one we had this year, yeah, you're talking about some pretty acute challenges. Um, and not just that, but also in in water management. So we're seeing these huge cycles in the um, or huge swings in the hydrological cycle. Mm-hmm. So we had Oroville Dam, which is also in California, right. that almost blew out, um, and that was really due to this um, warmer atmosphere, thanks to, according to science, the emissions of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, mostly mm-hmm. by humans. When you heat up the air, it can hold more water. When you have more moisture in the atmosphere, crazy stuff happens, like atmospheric rivers that hose down Northern California, overwhelm the dams. And uh, we almost saw that one go. So there, I think there's a, a, a lot of recognition on the ground of the implications yeah. of, of climate change. And those those really did kind of come to the fore, I think, this this year for sure. Yeah, it says a lot about the year that Orville feels like it happened so long ago. Yeah, Um, Yeah, when was that anyway? It was last spring. I lost it in the news blur. Yeah, one of the other um, events that I had forgotten about uh, was this catastrophic hailstorm here in Colorado back in May where giant ice pellets just like took out cars and windows. And um, I think in total more than 100,000 vehicles were damaged. That was on May 8th. It was kind of an incredible little... Yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of ways it felt pretty apocalyptic even at the time. But uh, well, it's kind of hilarious now because we're sitting in this little warm pocket while the rest of the country is, is freezing, uh, you know, and I'm kind of just just waiting to hear the different arguments about um, global warming and, and, and climate change. Or uh, last year when we saw crazy snowstorms over the winter, I guess that kind of counts as this sort of part of 2017, uh, big, huge snow dumps also. Um, which is, a, you know, that's climate-related. Um, so it doesn't just mean that everything's going to warm up and melt away. Some places are just going to get, like, huge dumps of snow. Crested Butte had to close their <laughs> resort for a day. They got so much snow. So, Yeah, I think it um, – I really like the expression climate weirding. It's not about – it's not just about um, everywhere getting warmer. The atmosphere will get warmer, which will produce – unexpected effects. It's climate variability. It's more, um, we're less able to predict what things will look like next year or the year after than we have in the past. Uh, And I think that really felt true this year when you had a year where you had hailstorms, you had incredible dumps of snow, you know, California's drought ostensibly ended, and then you can also have December wildfires. Uh, You can have uh, heat records being broken 
and you can have the Arctic sea ice at an all-time low. I mean, it's 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 climate weirding is feels like the expression that feels true to me. And it uh, looks like there's really no uh, no end in sight for some policy that's going to grapple with that at least uh, at least for now. Um, Paige, anything else from 2017 that you thought was a notable uh, notable event? Um, well, we Other have. Other than you keeping your job at High Country News. <laughs> well, jeez. <laughs> I'm still hanging in there. (laughs) Um, I think we have to mention um, opening up the Arctic Wildlife Refuge to drilling. Um, That is a big deal and something that um, Senator Lisa Murkowski has been fighting for for a long time. Her father has been fighting for, for a long time. It's been something on the mind of Alaskan politicians for a very, very long time. And Trump is basically granting them this this long-term wish. Um, but it's one example of how quickly a policy can be undone, but it has like such implications into the future. Like in the, the refuge, there were some leases opened up and they didn't sell out. Um, there's not this like big rush to drill there, but it's opening up this extremely vulnerable place to that kind of energy development that will have implications decades in, I mean, decades and decades into the future. Yeah, I mean, this was a this was a product of a um, the big scramble to get this massive tax bill passed, and uh, the uh, Arctic Refuge is basically this green line that environmentalists have drawn for a very long time, and, and trying to keep it wild and and not drilled, um, although. Pro, pro-energy uh, tribes who are also very supportive of Murkowski, who actually beat out a, a tea partier in a sort of like running as an independent. So she's kind of like a write-in in 2010. But she had she had a lot of support from pro-energy tribes, and so she's got this uh, very pro-energy agenda. Uh, she was able to hold out. Uh, she was able to hold out uh, as this sort of like voice of, uh, reason or something that wasn't going to sign off on this tax bill. And then suddenly she got this very yeah. nice, uh, golden, golden egg mm-hmm. uh, landed in there. And so that's going to, that's going to op- open that up. And that's right. It's market, market forces right now are the only thing that's keeping it from being drilled. So I, I think that's a really interesting to watch, uh, thing to watch uh, going forward. And um, there was a detail in that coverage that I really loved, um, one of the former Alaskan senators that had really fought for drilling in the refuge, he would wear um, a Hulk tie on any time that there was major legislation moving on it. And when Lisa Murkowski went to sign this tax bill, she wore um, the Incredible Hulk earrings. So that just like really punctuates how important this has been to Alaskan lawmakers. And um, yeah, it's a huge blow to environmentalists and it has uh, it, major implications. Well, uh, on that positive note, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to a uh, 2018 to see what that brings because it's starting off very, uh, very exciting, a uh, very interesting year. Um, but I'm afraid that's all we have time for for the wrap up for 2017. Uh, you know, if you want to continue uh, this conversation, go to kvnf.org. If you want to read more of our coverage from 2017 and all of the things that transpired for the West, you can do that at our website, which is hcn.org. Uh, I'm Brian Calvert. I'm the editor-in-chief of High Country News. I want to thank you all for listening. Uh, Kate Schimmel, deputy editor, digital, I want to thank you for being here. Thanks, Brian. Happy and to. Thanks a lot, Paige. Of course. Thank you. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thank you, Brian. It's great talking with you. And thank you all for listening. Thank you.